Welcome to another special topic episode of the Olefins Weekly Wrap-Up. Today is Friday, April 8th. I'm Haya Batniji, and this week's special topic episode will recap the polyolefins highlights from WPC and AFPM. Today, I'm joined by Joelle Morales, Executive Director of America's Polyolefins. Welcome back to the podcast, Joelle. Thanks, Carlo. I think this is, gosh, my fourth, fifth time. If it was airline miles, I'd probably have something. Maybe I can get paid this time. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you you get paid by IHS Market, soon to be Dow Jones, right? You want to talk a little bit about the Dow Jones? Um, no, very Jones? excited. So very excited about the brand. I, brand. I can tell you that uh, since 2013, having to explain what IHS stood for and then misspell market in recent years has has sometimes been challenging so no question what dow jones and wall street journal so very excited about the the brand strength here going forward yeah we we are excited as well they they definitely have a a very powerful brand in the business community so you just got back from wpc and and afpm back to back can you tell us how it was being back in the business attire presenting two years later after the pandemic it, it was great. And I, you know, I got a new expression. We've all heard put a face to a name. Now it's put a body to a face. So <laughs> many people we've been talking to that have been in the job for a year, two years, and until you actually see them in person, you don't realize that you actually haven't seen them in person. So the interaction was great. A lot of pent up demand. Really hope we could continue to do that. I think people were itching to get out, and it was uh, it was it was great. I missed those sixteen hour what I uh, days what I call the B to B breakfast to bar, and uh, so hope, hoping more of those to come in the future. Yeah, I think before WPC, didn't you go to another plastics event in DC? Yes, uh, a recycling conference was in uh, in early March. A great conference every year. Resource recycling puts it on about two thousand people, and I, and I think some of my colleagues were kind of telling me how exhausted they were from WPC. And I think I got my sea legs under me a couple of weeks before with that conference. So definitely using your voice, speaking all day in loud environments, basically shouting, you, you're not used to it if you haven't done it in a while. So a lot of fun. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about recycling because that was one of the major themes at WPC, right? Re- recycling, sustainability, net zero. Uh, but before we get into that, um, there's been a lot of activity uh, in the short-term markets here in, in the U.S., especially as it relates to polypropylene. Not so much on polyethylene, so could you address kind of both of those? Dynamics? Sure. You know, the big question on polyethylene really is exports. Can we get exports back to that magical $2 billion number that we used to do and need to do to make room for uh, the new capacity that's coming online? And essentially, we've been stuck about one6 and We've all talked about the logistic issues that are getting worked through, and well, they stay here for for quite some time. But in simple terms, if if we're stuck for polyethylene and we can't get to that two billion mark by the summertime, and Shell Polymers successfully brings their 1.5 million metric tons of new capacity in the Marcellus and the Pittsburgh area on in the summertime, then our assumption of low 80% operating rates will have to be bumped down into the 70s. And that's a significant change for the world's second most competitive region. So that's what we're waiting for in polyethylene, a little bit more medium term. Near term in polypropylene, we've been hit by a, a slew of force majeures announced here right at the end of March. You know, coming into the year, we were pretty balanced, I'd say maybe even a little long. However, now with operational issues that we saw, we don't have March 
data yet from the American Chemistry Council. We'll get those hopefully by next week. But I would suspect we're looking at mid 80s rates max in March. And our analytics suggest that April will be a struggle to get much uh, better than you know 83-ish. And that means that if we continue to grow at that 3% target rate that we have for year over year in 22 over 21, after you know a magical 21 growth year of near 9%, the best we've seen since 2010, and imported finished goods and pellets are probably half of what they were back in that August-September timeframe. So the call on domestic production is um, is pretty high. And because of these operational issues, we're looking at days of inventory that could be you know, south of 30 days here in May through the summertime until Heartland Polymers, owned by Inner Pipeline, starts up you know, their 525 metric tons in Canada. And these dynamics are now putting us in a position where if Heartland Polymers doesn't start off as quickly as people think, well, we could see the market staying tighter for longer. And as a result, we've actually seen some resin producers try to announce, well, not try, but they've announced margin expansion for April or May, depending on the producer, to try to basically take advantage of this near-term situation because of uh, supply disruptions, decent demand. And uh, it's still very difficult and expensive to import product, but now that they're pushing margin, if it goes through, then we're likely to see another little bit of a bump on uh, on imports in the 90 day 120 day window so volatility continues in the north american uh, pp market yeah and what i find interesting at least on the propylene side of things is that uh we're kind of counting on that heartland polymers uh depressing pp operating rates a little bit to sort of loosen up the market from a monomer standpoint the problem that we see now at least uh from a uh, second half balance perspective is that uh, Lyondell's propylene oxide facility is actually going to start up in the fourth quarter a little bit earlier than the than what was communicated uh, about a year or so ago. Um, Lyondell's already communicated to the street that it's a, it's a 4Q startup for that uh, POTBA plant. So um, that's uh, forced us to reevaluate our second half balances and things could get really tight, especially if uh, Heartland doesn't uh, does it come on on time? Um, so that's really interesting. And I thought I, I thought what you said about the PE uh, side of things was also very interesting because, as you mentioned, we are this uh, second most uh, competitive production area in the world uh, as it relates to integrated uh, cracker economics. Uh, but the problem is we just can't get these uh, these pellets out, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that and uh, later on in the in the podcast. But I want to I want to shift uh, back to WPC and uh, that theme of sustainability and net zero was a common theme throughout the conference, and I just want to ask you as it relates to polymers, uh, what how is the industry uh, focusing on sustainability, recycling, and net zero in the polymer segment, and specifically more downstream, you know, the converters, the brand owners, how is that going to affect them? I think this is still very much in the early stages of trying to figure out what net zero means and and, and how to get there. And of course, it varies wildly by ge geography. So we're seeing already in Europe regulation that's coming into a play, whereas more in North America, it hasn't gotten to to that level. So, you know, brand owners are evaluating their targets in in this 
quest for, for circularity. I think near term, we still believe the vast majority of demand will be met by virgin plastics. However, longer term, we do realize that this circular economy movement is not going to go away. If anything, it's going to accelerate. So if you look at our demand growth rates, we do have them slowing globally, regionally past uh, the next few years because we're basically accounting for an increase in mechanical recycling, uh, some displacement in some areas to other materials because they can't get to their goals otherwise. So they'll go from plastics to paper to metal. So we, I, I do believe we've compensated for it. This is going to be a topic that continues to get more and more attention in the, in the months and years uh, going forward. But again, I think the message is near term, it's virgin demand that's going to be addressing this growth. And in the outer years, we start to get into more of this advanced recycling and potential other solutions. There's just so many different ways people are trying to come at this with biopolymers, biocompostable. Bio -compostable. Um, there's a lot of announcements in the marketplace, a lot of different ways to get to this. I, I don't think this is going to be a one size fits all. Geography will matter. It's going to be a thousand solutions like herding cats slowly getting us to that to that target now as far as uh, you know wpc big news uh, dow with their announcement for the facility towards the end of the decade with the you know net zero would be i believe the first of its kind and then the question is is does industry follow suit and do you take existing polymer assets and figure out ways over time to make them net zero ca capturing the carbon and you know like like many things everything is possible with the cost so then the question is, is if we add cost to existing assets, it's very much like a new tax almost, and you would have to figure out, does that get passed downstream and what does that do to downstream demand? So a lot of variables, a lot of moving parts, but some, something that we're definitely spending more attention than ever uh, studying going forward. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely expensive, right, to add some of these uh, components on industrial processes, right, like so carbon capture or sequestration. That, that adds a, a, a significant amount of cost to a project. And right now, most people um, look at the dollars and cents, right? I mean, what what am I getting for this incremental cost, right? And that's where, I guess, uh, if you could speak a, a little bit about brand owners and are they willing to absorb incremental costs today? And what about in the future? Would they be willing to absorb that incremental cost? So we get a lot of mixed signals from the ultimately the brand owner is going to try to meet his customers wants and needs and i can tell you in some of the mechanical recycling families like natural high density polyethylene we've seen that price pretty much completely decouple from uh, virgin material it's a, it's a significant premium and um, last year we did see some uh, feedback from the recyclers that they did lose some demand because it got to a certain point where yes, their sustainability is key, but it, people are in the business of making money and it was just too expensive to, to pay for it. So we've seen examples of brand owners walking away a bit from using mechanical recycle because of cost. But on the other hand, we are still seeing significant growth. You've got uh, expansion in South America by Braschem for green polyethylene being announced. Of course, that's polyethylene made from uh, ethanol from sugarcane still making the same type of plastic with its same end of life challenges but there is a market for that globally and and, and that it, the market exists because brand owners assign value to that and they can pay a different price point for those materials compared to to virgin so 
we've had a strong economy, a lot of growth here in recent years, a lot of concern starting to develop about the effects of inflation. Of course, now we're in a high oil environment, and there's concern what that does six months from now, a year from now, if consumers find themselves short of cash because they can't keep up with inflation. I think you might see brand owners slow that premium uh, initiative on on uh, polyolefin a bit compared to what we've seen here recently. So definitely, definitely some risk that we're trying to evaluate. But if inflation hits people's pockets, it's a little bit more difficult to start paying those premiums when there are other materials that you don't have to pay as much for, even though they don't have the recycle content or the green polyethylene label. Yeah, I think one of the uh, one of the discussions at WPC focused around the incremental cost of investment and it d does the does the project uh, developer do they just go ahead and absorb that cost as a social social license to operate right and I, I think that's that's going to be an interesting way to look at those types of investment because uh, essentially there is no economic return but there is a social return right and so it's it'll be interesting to see how how um, companies will value that social return, right? Because um, if we get to a situation where um, brand owners aren't willing to accept uh, the incremental cost of, of renewable slash green material, um, do people do it anyway? Or does government get involved and the heavy hand of government starts incentivizing some of these investments, right? So there's a lot of unknowns that we covered. Now, speak a little bit about recycling. Um, are there limits to mechanical recycling? Uh, obviously, right? Manpower uh, and sorting and et cetera. Could you speak a little bit about? Sure. So it, it, it depends on what part of the world you're in on the mechanical recycling. So in North America, for example, there, there's a bit of a limitation on collection, especially for polypropylene. When you think about polyethylene, even PET, PET, water bottles, carbonated soft drinks, it's very easy to identify. It's a pretty mature recycle market. Go to high density, the milk bottle, the milk gallon, very recognizable. You know, um, detergents, shampoo bottles, a little bit of back and forth between PET and, and high density, but you do have a staple there in that gallon milk bottle that's very well recognized. When you think about polypropylene, it's a lot of cat, cats and dogs. It's um, takeout packaging, it's caps, and even caps are difficult to determine if they're high density or, or polypropylene. So polypropylene doesn't have uh, the signature supply recognition that the other two do. That being said, it, we are seeing it grow on a percentage basis from a small base. So collection's a challenge. You know, I, I sometimes joke, maybe I shouldn't joke, but when it comes to Americans, we can't get them to take care of themselves, right? We have an opioids, opioids crisis, obesity crisis. We can't get people to take care of their own health. Are they really going to care about recycling? So that's uh, that, that's a challenge. Let's pretend we can get more mechanical recycling. Then there's an application challenge on the other end where you, you take this stuff, you wash it, you clean it up best you can, but very limited exposure into food applications you know it's it's uh, which is why the promise of some of these other technologies uh, advanced advanced molecular recycling 
you know, th those are promising because you can take hard, difficult to, to recycle plastic, get it back into a feedstock, get it back eventually, uh, it's on some proportion to a polymer, and it's you, you can't tell that it ever started from anything different than a normal feedstock, so it can go in any application. There's no, quote, um, it's not clean enough constraint to be put in a certain application. So from that perspective, uh, I guess overall, there's a collection issue on mechanical, and there's an application where it will fit uh, bottleneck that, that kind of the market has to, to wrestle with. All right, so we talked at length about kind of the long-term vision strategy. Um, that was where WPC was mostly centered on, right? Long-term analysis, sustainability, net zero. But at AFPM, things were a little bit more tactical. And a lot of the discussion, at least what I had with clients, and I'm sure you, you had some discussions as well, uh, really focused on trade and the inability to get product out of the United States and get product back into the United States from, from certain areas in Asia. So uh, I was curious to know what, how did those conversations go for you? And you know, tell us a little bit more about what your thoughts are on trade. No, so it's appropriate we go from recycle to global logistics, essentially two topics that are extremely important, getting a lot of visibility but no clear answers more questions and answers in terms of logistics it's just it's been challenging because the the market the global market keeps changing right so we've got this conflict in ukraine going on right now that's changed the the, the energy profile than what we're expecting to pre-conflict we've got a situation now in shanghai where they're shut down because of COVID. Well, you know, that wasn't really in the plans going before that. That's having its effect on delays on, on the Shanghai port. So there's just a lot of things that keep popping up here that are that are unexpected. But I think the message, and I'll give us credit versus maybe some other views in the marketplace last year when prices were up and they just assume going back to 2005, 2008, 2017, other weather events that, you know, what goes up must go down. Well, we knew it would come down but we, and we told our clients this, we identified that there was a structural change in global logistics. And that meant that for certain parts of the world, particularly the Americas, to a certain extent, Western Europe, there was a higher barrier of entry of imported resin, and maybe more importantly, imported finished goods. And what that means was it was gonna be more expensive. And so domestic producers know that, and there's no reason for them to lower their prices below that import parity price. So it's almost similar as if we were a South American country and just decided to throw on a 15, 20% tax on imported resin and, uh, and finished goods. I mean, maybe the number's wrong, but the concept is the same. So we, I, I think we did a good job of identifying that. The challenge is, is how exactly uh, long do these elevated rates last? And uh, long-term, what is the new normal? There's a lot of moving pieces to this one as well. Our our general commentary at AFPM was we really this thing don't think this is getting resolved in 2022, and uh, and we're starting to even hear possibilities of this lagging into 2024. Now, uh, people understand that inflation is real. If you try to buy any kind of good or go to uh, an event or do anything here in the last year, you'll know that it's a much more expensive than it was pre-COVID. So cost structures have been structurally moved up and we're not going back 
So the new the new question now is how long will this last to provide a barrier for domestic producers in the Americas to benefit? But the other question for we talked about polyethylene is they may benefit it from a barrier to entry, but they're getting hurt on it because they can't move their exports and take advantage of a, a pretty big ethane to naphtha advantage. So just a lot of frustration from the, the market, just not knowing that answer of will this last six months, will this last a year? And we've done some scenario work. We showed it at WPC on just how important it is for U.S. exports to start uh, moving up. And if it and if it doesn't, what does it do to potentially operating rates? And there will be a down effect on prices and margins as well. So we're, we continue to look at uh, how to dig deeper into uh, that space on, on, on forecasting uh, freight rates, maybe something that we can have in the more granularity in the future. But right now we're basically telling people you should expect higher elevated freight rates well into uh, well, well for the full year 2022 and start thinking about possibly even in 2023. So very big dynamic that we're dealing with here. Yeah, it's amazing because I think on the liquid uh, freight side, we haven't seen a lot of these logistical challenges, but uh, a lot of that is mostly due to port congestion, right? Yeah, this is all about containerized freight. So if you're if you're shipping LPG, if you're shipping ethane, if you're shipping uh, bulk liquids, they may have their own nuances with their supply and demand dynamics. But this is all a containerized freight issue because in simplest terms, the shipping industry prepared for the worst, like many industries did in that first quarter, first uh, quarter and a half in 2020 when COVID broke out. And by the time people started shopping like crazy, the second half of the year, we're still we're still playing catch up. So uh, if it's containerized freight, you are significantly affected. And that's why we're seeing some people trying to figure out ways to avoid containers and, and containerized and ocean ships that carry containers. Can you somehow put your resin material on what they call break bulk, which is a ship that doesn't have containers and it just you literally physically store it in, in different ways. So we're seeing more people look at that. Uh, people are needing to get creative. People are trying to pay truck drivers more. People are buying more space. People are, people are trying to get innovative to deal with the situation. We're just trying to figure out how much does that move the needle? Does that improve? Do we go from 1.6 to 1.8 to 2? So um, people are having to think outside the box and do things they've never done to go around this ocean container freight issue because it seems to be, you know, barring global recession, which frankly might be in the cards here more now because of what's been going on. And, and I, was, uh, I was about to say that because yeah. that was another key theme at AFPM is like this thing looks like it's slowing down. What <laughs> what do you guys think? Right. That was the big uh, other big theme at AFPM. Yeah. So, you know, you know, just like just like me, we're, we're caught in the middle of our balance updates between what we've finalized at the end of the year and what we'll be doing here in the summertime. And clearly the demand that we thought for the globe in 2022 is not gonna be as good as we had thought back then. So the, we have to figure out with this inflation, with this global uncertainty, what is the impact with increased sustainability coming also? What is the impact on the demand growth for our products? And it, we're working on it. It's gonna be less than what we thought, not more. Um, yeah, some some really uh, difficult situations we got to work through here. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely uh, an issue that uh, we have to address as a, as a research shop. Um, the 
The other thing that also came into play at AFPM, at least in my conversations, was the, this uh, the situation in China with their go, them going into lockdown again in certain cities, and especially the one of their bigger cities, Shanghai. Uh, and the question that I got asked is, how is that going to affect global growth, right? If it, can China, what if China's growth actually slows and what if they actually go in recession, right? So that's uh, that was another question that I got asked. Yeah, China's, um, I mean, they are, I don't want to use the word, I'm trying to see if I can say this, I mean, they're, they're a beast when it comes to <laughs> polyolefins from their share on demand every year and their share on production. You know, you show the charts and new builds, they dominate uh, most years as a percent of the new builds in the world. And I, I can tell you specific for PolyPro, right now they have more product than they know what to do with. And the potential, the potential for them to be a significant um, net exporter for homopolymer products, in particular, is is there. So I, I know North American uh, clients are, are are looking at that as an opportunity where, okay, prices here are going up again, and there's new plants coming on in Asia for homopolymer. Most of the time, it's simple grades, but you know, th there's material coming from China all the time over here. So I think, um, I think. The, and PP, their ability to impact the, the, the trade market is going to change. Of course, we've talked about this, you know, Russia to Europe, no more for, for polymers. And that's going to open up some opportunities. Can Chinese get their stuff approved fast? There's, there's some pretty stringent reach requirements to move product into, into Europe. But China, their, their demand, their production, how those trends go definitely impact the, the global markets. And Right now, it's very challenging for anyone that's using oil as a feedstock to make their polymers. They're they're in the red on their integrated margins. Any way you look at it, we're we're seeing some of the worst margins near term that we've seen since 2012. So it's 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 not sustainable. But um, new plants are starting for both PE and PP in in China, and the demand is not looking great to start the year. There's a lot of uncertainty, and I and I think they're going to find creative ways to 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 sell it elsewhere if it makes sense, even if it's only a short period of time. So that's a that's a new dynamic that we were not expecting to deal with, is China not consuming their own stuff. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, so, uh, I mean, we could talk uh, forever, but I know uh, we're a little short on time here. So anything else you'd like to leave our uh, listeners with? No, I just, uh, I guess, well, yes, just exp you know, brace yourself for the volatility. There's a lot of uncertainty on the price of oil, and that has an impact. There's a lot of uncertainty on the economic forecast, and that obviously has an impact. We're looking at the global trade dynamics, the arbitrages. So um, I think our forecast is justified right now, but it just takes you know a, a pop here or a pop there, and and there will be changes. So you know, tune in regularly. Be talking to your uh, your IHS market consultant contacts. Look at the website on a, on a weekly basis because things could change fast. And as always, I appreciate the invite, Carlo. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a like or leave a review if you enjoy it. And if you have any questions or want us to cover something more specific, you can send us an email. Until next time. <laughs>